0: This is Kay Tillo. I'm the chair of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare, and you are listening to Single Payer Radio. We're with you on Forward Radio, which is 106.5 FM. It broadcasts locally here in Louisville, Kentucky. If you are not within range to hear the program, you can hear it online at forwardradio.org. And if you're on the radio, just tune in to 106.5 FM. We are proud to have a program here. We can be heard three times a week, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, bringing you the issues uh, of healthcare in our country and of single payer, what that means and why it is that we're advocating for that. With me today is Dr. Garrett Adams, and most people in Louisville know Dr. Adams. He is uh, a physician here for many, many years. He is uh, one of the past presidents of uh, Physicians for a National Health Program, and he is the founder of Physicians for a National Health Program here in Kentucky. He is a pediatrician, gained his education at uh, Vanderbilt and in Wake Forest and at Johns Hopkins. He has a master's in public health. He specializes in infectious diseases and he has worked for many years in our city caring for the children. And in later years, he has worked on healthcare reform, trying to find the ways to bring health care to all of the people who don't have it. He has received the uh, Quentin Young Health Activist Award in 2006. He has the Lifetime Leadership Award from the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. And I'm proud to be a part of this program today to just have a really informal discussion about healthcare in our country. What is it? What's the problem? What do we need to do to fix this?
1: Hi, Garrett. Hi. And it's, it's my honor and privilege to be on a radio program with one of the gurus in health policy reform uh, in this country, Uh, a woman who is known throughout the United States as a leader in health policy and particular single payer health care reform. Kay Tillow, Kay grew up in Paducah, and she went to the University of Illinois and University of Ghana. She graduated from the University of Pittsburgh and she worked in the Southern Civil Rights Movement. She worked for healthcare and nurses unions on organizing and collective bargaining. Kay is also a recipient of the Quentin Young Health Activists Award from the Physicians for a National Health Program. She is the Chair of Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare and Coordinator of the All Unions Committee for Single-Payer Healthcare. She's well known, as I said, for her work throughout the country, has written many articles, is read and respected uh, for her commentary on single-payer. It's an honor for me to be on a program with Kay. Thanks, Garrett. That's really kind of you. So, um,
0: we, we've been working together in Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare for some time now. It, our organization was founded in 2004 here in Kentucky. You know, as we go through the program, we invite you to be a part of the organization because it's going to take a lot of people working on it to make this happen and to actually bring health care to our people. So I think we want to talk, uh, start off by talking about what is the problem? <laughs> what is the problem with our current health care situation?
1: Well, there is a problem. And I don't think that's a, there's any debate about that. And we don't want to spend the whole hour talking about the problems with the healthcare non-system in the United States. Our colleagues, Mike, Dr. Mike Flynn and Dr. Gene Shively have featured a number of different aspects of, of this. The, the uninsured individuals die earlier, they die, the, the death rates are higher. In uninsured individuals and underinsured individuals, partly because they don't go to the doctor enough, they don't. They they try to save on medicines, and they simply will stay home because they can't afford care. This this is the only country in the world, in the United that has such uh, disregard official systemic disregard for its people it's worse in black and brown communities the health inequities in our country mirror the wealth inequity as our dr martin luther king jr said health health inequity is the worst form of injustice in in is inhumane and shocking. That's what he said so many years ago, and it's still true. So we want to talk today about ways that we can help cure the injustice in health reform, by health reform in this country.
0: In terms of the problem, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty multifaceted problem. In other words, it's not like we just had one little problem and If we patched it up, it would be fixed and we could go on, you know, we have, we have people in Medicare who still go broke in spite of that, which is the best public insurance that we have. We have people in Medicaid who, who can't see the specialists that they need to see and are treated worse because it's a, you know, it's a means tested program and it pays so little. We have a crisis with the rural hospitals that are closing. I think I saw the figure that 16 in Kentucky, 16 rural hospitals are in danger of closing. And I believe the figure for the country was like eight or 900 that were on the verge. And we have people who can't afford their care. Even people who have good employer-based insurance don't have sufficient money. Because of the um, the deductibles and the copayments and all of the barriers, the economic barriers that stand in their way. So it's not like this is one simple little thing. And if we patch that up, you know, some people say, you know, just put a patch on the Affordable Care Act and we'll have it fixed. And I think we see the problem as deeper than that. That for-profits are taking over our Medicare system, and the problem is is very deep and very human. I think uh, you had uh, a, an experience in hearing about someone uh, who was in this area who was impacted by the diagnosis and the crisis?
1: Well, we think, Kay, that... Uh, it It's important to remember that even though we can quote statistics and and there are numerous compilations of def, of of deficiency in American health care such as the uh, World Health Organization in one of the uh, recent re, uh, reviews showed that we were 37th in uh, among nations in the efficiency of our healthcare. We're way down among some countries that you wouldn't want to be in the same lower category. But the statistics, 30 million uninsured, and maybe twice that if you include the underinsured, are just people, they're individuals with the tears wiped dry. That's what statistics are. And we had a friend whom we we actually didn't know this gentleman. We we later met his wife, but we learned about him. He was from Henry County. And unfortunately, he's not with us now. And his wife, though, has given us permission to tell his story. His name was Clay Morgan. He was an automobile mechanic. He was good enough to have his own, st- own business and then he had malignant melanoma and spent all of his savings to try to treat the disease and it worked and he was cured. But in the process he lost his business and then it came back and Clay, not willing to plunge his family into debt again, went out in the backyard and took his own life.
0: So the tragic story of a suicide, because he did not see a way to financially make it through a program that could have saved his life because of the economic burden on his family. And I don't think that happens in other countries. I think in other countries, people have health care and they have access to it.
1: So Kay, you, you mentioned that you, you think this is our health problem, health system deficiencies in this country are all-encompassing. What do you mean by that, all-encompassing?
0: Well, I think that, I think that everybody is impacted, that no one is free from the worry that it causes. If you have a good job and you have employer-based health care, well, maybe you feel like you're in the best position. But once you get sick, if you can't work because of that illness, your employer health insurance ends. So just at the point that you need to use it, you find that it no longer is there. That's a huge problem. Employer based health insurance is not stable. So if you get laid off, it's no longer there. We have a program that's called COBRA that at some point in our history, somebody said, well, we'll set up a system so that if people get laid off, they can then pay for their own health care through this system and maintain their health insurance. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that it costs maybe a 1000 or $2,000 a month to maintain your health insurance under a COBRA plan. And what does that mean to the person who's been laid off? Because that's the very time at which you don't have the income to pay for anything. People wouldn't have that even if they were working. So the program is not workable because People, unless they're in very, very good economic situation, they cannot afford to buy the insurance. So at every point where you turn, I had a friend who he, he went on the exchange, and he, uh, he, he and his wife and his three kids who were in college, but under 26, and he was so excited he was going to be able to cover all of them. And he bought a plan, and... Uh, for he and his wife and his three kids, and everything was fine until one of the kids got sick. She was away at college in in New Orleans. Lo and behold, the plan doesn't cover healthcare down there. You have to come back to Louisville, Kentucky (laughs) to be able to access the program because there's a narrow network. So everywhere that people turn, whether they're buying on the exchange, whether they have employer-based health care, whether they have Medicaid, whether they have Medicare, there's a glitch somewhere because it doesn't it, it's not a seamless system that covers you no matter what happens. And therefore, I would say that it's a multifaceted problem and that we're all in it together. And it's not stable for any of us. We're not protected throughout our lives. And if we have coverage, then our mom or our kid or our neighbor or somebody doesn't have it. And that's why I think we have to do something that covers all of us, that you can't fall out of it if you lose your job or if you retire or if you get sick or something else, if your kids turned 27 and no longer can buy on the exchange, you know, all of those limitations are a barrier to people having health care. And we really need a seamless system that allows you to get health care, no matter what stage of life or your family or or what's in your pocketbook?
1: How has the employer-based health insurance system in this country been affected by the COVID, COVID pandemic, Kay? Hmm. Well, you know,
0: one of the things is that many, many people got laid off. And when you get laid off, you know, you lose your health coverage. So I don't know how many that is. I've heard the figure that 15 million lost their health coverage through that. But I don't know if that's accurate, but I know it must be huge. At one point here in Kentucky, we had over 900,000 layoffs. I mean, that's amazing. That's almost a million people in a state of 4.4 million. So uh, it, it's almost mind-boggling to just think of how big the problem is and how many people have been impacted. I know, you know, some people were able to keep an income through some of the, uh, you know, we've had some programs of of rescue or for the pandemic. And, I, you know, I don't know how to judge all of that. But uh, I know for the, for the COVID, it's just been a terrible problem with a disruption of the economic life of every city and every state. And of course that that plays havoc with our healthcare systems that are based on employment.
1: I'm wondering as we're talking how having COVID will be considered as a possibly as a pre-existing condition because we know now that there are definitely some serious consequences uh, beyond the acute illness of COVID depending on a person's response to it, but the long hauler syndrome and also other effects. So I wonder if it's going to show up on uh, an insurance application, have you had COVID? Mm -hmm. And will that be considered a pre-existing condition or will you have to go through certain tests and so forth to qualify for health insurance?
0: Yeah, that's a big concern. Uh, Of course, I know they're still studying how to deal with it. But one of the problems is, you know, how how do we pay for it? And of course, they tried. I think they tried in the Affordable Care Act, which was passed in... 2010 to end discrimination for pre-existing conditions. I mean, that was one of the things that we as a country were really united around. We didn't think it was right that you could be denied insurance because you had been sick or that you would have to pay more for insurance because you had been sick. So that was one of the things that was put into the Affordable Care Act that uh, insurance companies could no longer discriminate on the basis of that. But, you know, that, that was never a perfect protection. One of the things it didn't do was stop drug companies from putting medications that people needed on a different tier. So we found that, you know, if you had MS or if you had AIDS or if you had uh, some other disease disease, epilepsy that needed expensive drugs, the drugs could be on a tier that caused you to pay $1,000 a month or something. And by uh, moving those figures around, insurers are, were able to keep people who had those illnesses from purchasing their insurance. And therefore, it was a form of discrimination anyway. Now, under Trump, you know, he put into effect a whole uh, number of uh, short term plans that were supposed to just, you know, be temporary for when people were between jobs, et cetera. But the problem was that in those plans, they were therefore exempt from the rules about not discriminating for pre existing conditions. So those kept being extended. So now we have a whole bunch of short-term plans and insurance that continues to discriminate. So uh, there's always a loophole somewhere that's keeping us from getting the care we need.
1: I've heard that the average cost for American annual healthcare is about now about $10,000 and that's double what the cost is in other, developed nations. And yet, even though we're paying twice what others are paying, and a large portion of that cost is actually government money. And I wonder if there's a way out of that. How can we get beyond this? And we have some, we, that's the reason we are, we exist as, as uh, Kentuckians for single-payer health care is because we have an idea, we've learned about probable solution. There are other countries. Taiwan, for example, was in some problems with, with their healthcare care system and wanted to do something better. And they looked, they got consultants to look around the world to see what health care was best. And lo and behold, it was Medicare. But what they want, what they did in Taiwan, and it's worked so well, is they've charged, they, they established a Medicare for all. And that's what we are working for here as a as a solution to so many problems that we could go on, we could spend the every program on the problem, but let's go to the solution. We believe that the solution can be single-payer national health insurance. That is publicly funded, privately delivered health insurance. So we've referred to the Physicians for National Health Program. The physician's proposal for single-payer health care reform first appeared in Journal of the American Medical Association in 2003, and I happened to read that just in my regular process of looking through medical journals of what might be something that I should know, and it was there, and I read it, and at the end of the the article, there was an opportunity to join the Physicians for a National Health Program, at that time, there were 8,000 doctors who were in the uh, in the membership, and today there are over 23,000. It's one of the fastest growing uh, physician organizations. I wanted, to, in a way to help people understand and understand what single payer is, I'm just going to briefly go through the single-payer health care reform that we believe can solve our 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 uh, terrible issue with healthcare, providing health care to the nation. Number one, the plan removes all financial barriers to medical care. Two, saves enough on administrative overhead to provide comprehensive coverage to the uninsured and to upgrade coverage for everyone else, thus requiring no increase in total health spending. Wow. Puts, in, <laughs> puts in place effective mechanisms to control costs, lower the rate of medical inflation, and making the health system sustainable for, for future generations. It restores free choice of clinician and hospital to all Americans. I'll say that again, free choice of clinician and hospital to all Americans. Every resident of the U.S., including all immigrants, is covered for all necessary medical care. A National Health Program card entitles patients to care at any hospital or doctor's office. Provides coverage for outpatient and inpatient medical care, as well as rehabilitation, mental health and long-term care, dental services, and prescription drugs. Improves on traditional Medicare's benefits and expands coverage to all Americans. Eliminates premiums, co-pays, deductibles, and coinsurance is federally financed like Medicare and administered by federal, state, and regional boards. Private insurance that duplicates national health coverage is prohibited. The initial increase in government costs is fully offset by savings in premiums and out-of-pocket costs. I'm gonna read that one again. The initial increase in government costs is fully offset by savings in premiums and out-of-pocket costs. Hospitals and other health facilities will be on budget. Most remain privately owned and operated, receiving an annual global lump sum budget to cover all operating costs. Physicians paid simply on a simple fee schedule covering all patients or by salary. Medications are purchased wholesale. It is paid for by combining Current government health spending into a single fund with modest new progressive taxes fully offset by reductions in premiums and out-of-pocket spending. So there basically the, the, the progressive tax substitutes for the premiums that you're no longer paying. You're no longer paying any any premiums, deductibles. Or out-of-pocket costs, but in return for that, there is a, a small. There is a, a a progressive uh, tax. So actually, it's a kind of a premium. It's a substitute premium, but it's a progressive thing depending on your income.
0: Well, that would be an amazing plan. You know. Uh that uh, the idea of you get to choose your doctor, we should take that for granted. But so many people are now in plans where the insurance industry decides what doctors you're able to see, which is a big barrier to people being able to uh, have a decent relationship with a physician. You know, we have so much of our system That is burdened by rules and regulations uh, not intended to help patients or physicians, but intended to make money for the insurance company. For instance, you know, those, uh, the co payments that you have to make, you know, that was put on there by insurance companies who see the problem as people who are going to the doctor too much, they want too much care. Well, we want to remove that with a single payer system because the opposite is true. You know, people in uh, in this country see a physician much less than they do in Japan or some of the European countries. That's because they make it very expensive just for us to go to see a doctor because of all of those copays and deductibles that we are burdened with so you read that plan in the uh, of the physicians for a national health program and you were persuaded by it and this was the essence of uh, what that proposal is right those are the elements
1: correct correct, correct. And that was put into a, a, a bill, uh, a House resolution, by Congressman John Conyers. And at one point, there were 180 co-190 co-sponsors. It, it, there's a there are two similar bills in the current legislature, one in the Senate and one in the one in the House, very similar that contain the these same stipulations
0: so uh, Garrett uh, why is it that we don't have a plan like this, and can we do this in this country? Some people say we can't so, so,
1: some of the naysayers are are concerned about uh, about how to pay for it've I've mentioned some of the ways um, there are over 150 economists in uh, American economists that have s- stood up for the the payment system for single payer it, that testifying that we can indeed uh, pay for it. I, I saw another thing that I wanted to, to bring out, but I, I can do that uh, a little later. But basically, the... The main funding is through the substitution of of, of the of the support that I that, that I mentioned. Instead instead of paying premiums, uh, there's a you, you pay just just a little more taxes. But in, in the end, ninety five percent of people will have not only have this wonderful insurance package, but they'll actually have a little more pocket money than they have now. And they have guaranteed health care, which just from birth till the end. And that's almost unheard of, but, but that's, that's what it could be.
0: Mm-hmm. I think what people are not aware of is that our country spends about double per capita what other industrialized countries spend. Therefore, we're spending more than, you know, Germany, France, Great Britain, Canada, Japan, all of that, we we come in at the top. We spend double uh, per capita what the others spend, and yet our outcomes are worse, you know, our life expectancy is like four years below what it is in Italy, and. It's below um, almost all these other countries, and it's going down, as a matter of fact. That's a a crisis for us, is that, you know, instead of gaining with the advancement of time and with science, our life expectancy is going down. But we're spending more, and we're not getting the fruits of those funds that are spent. I think it's basically because the for-profit insurance system has demanded that there be many, many uh, administratively wasteful procedures that guarantee that they can profit from the insurance. And that's what really is in the way of us being able to spend all of those funds on health care for our people.
1: Congressman Yarmuth last uh, August said that he had come to the conclusion that the evidence was that we can actually afford to do whatever we want to do, whatever is in the best interest of our people, our citizens, we can afford to do it. He said there's a growing group of economists and others who say that as a country with a sovereign currency, we can spend anything we need need to spend to help our citizens, but this form of of uh, monetary theory to the to, uh, aside taken aside there's there's the money is there it just needs to be spent differently. Medical device companies for example, and some of the middle sub- manufacturer manufacturers and uh, middle uh, sort of people like, I want to mention McKesson, uh, is a pharmaceutical distributor who is also into some uh, digital programs for for doctor's office. It's, It's a large medical supply company. A couple of years ago, I happened to see the c e o it's not really earnings because i don 't think he earned it, but <laughs> that's true the money the money that he received annual payment was hundred and forty eight million dollars so there's so much loss, so much um, profiteering which we just need it it's obscene and and wrong we should get put that money into taking care of people instead of Making shareholders and and owners richer. There's a. It's the business angle that has really hurt and poisoned, if you will, our healthcare system.
0: Uh, You're right, Garrett. You know it. uh, It's no. It's no longer geared around service to patients the insurance industry has transformed it into a money-making system and sets up all of the priorities based on how they're gonna be able to make their profit. And uh, they've turned everything over to the profit makers. Even, you know, our Medicare system was once just a publicly funded system for those who were 65 and older but now that's being transformed into a system where the private insurers are taking over. And I think that it's very close to 40% of Medicare is now privatized and handled by insurance companies whose interest is against the patient. In other words, if you're in it for profit, then, if you deny a procedure or a treatment, then that's more money in your pocket. So, we have this terrible situation where the people who have the say in our healthcare system are people whose financial interest works against the care of the patient. And that really is what's wrong. And that's the difference between our system and the single payer systems throughout the world or the National Health Service like in Great Britain where there are no private insurers who can control what happens in healthcare. They can't dictate to the physicians, they can't tell the patients what physician you can use, they can't tell you what hospital you can go to You know, I know one of the physicians in our organization who deals with elderly people says that he has a terrible time when he has patients who need to go to rehab centers because the ones who are in these private for-profit Medicare Advantage plans aren't able to get to the really good rehab centers and that he can't find centers covered under their insurance, where they can go say to recover from a cardiac event or from you know a uh, knee replacement or whatever else that they have had. It's a terrible thing when your system is controlled by people who profit from denying you care, and that's the terrible situation that we're in under the current system, and it's not. It's not getting better as we go along it's getting more difficult to pay for the health care that people need.
1: People question the, the whether or not uh, physicians would be in favor of, of, a, of a change. The doctors are really hurting because of the pressures that the, the billing systems are putting on. most of the digital Programs that they use to keep up with the computer electronic health records are really geared are lar- lar- in a large part geared toward billing issues, and they're taking up a lot of time. And the billing billing process itself is a, a, an issue for the for the doctors american billing costs amount to about $83,000 per physician per year so if a doctor goes to canada where he doesn't have to he or she doesn't have to bill their their patients they they automatically have an $83,000 raise and not only that they get to spend some 20 hours a week which they can in canada have for their own use in this country it costs 20 hours a week just with billing doctors are spending that much time doing billing there was a co- uh, I'll, I'll tell say one other thing about about that uh, people are thinking that sometimes that the co- costs of malpractice suits are uh, are a big problem. And they are with, with single payer in Canada, for example, they have much lower costs for, for malpractice. Uh, about 60% of, <clears throat> of a malpractice suit is for future medical care. If your future medical care <clears throat> is already taken care of by by insurance by by the by the single payer pl- plan national insurance then that's 60% that comes off of the bill for the malpractice insurance
0: well that would be a tremendous change for people who are practicing medicine right
1: because, Absolutely, uh, yeah you know like <coughs> orthopedists or or and uh, some other high, high income specialties, you know, have to pay, they pay a lot of uh, malpractice insurance. <clears throat> there was a recent address by uh, Dr. David May, who a recent chair of the Board of Governors of the American College of Cardiology, and Dr. May said, I am a Republican. For those who know me, that is not a surprise. I live in a red state, Texas. I've never voted for a Democratic presidential candidate. I can field, field strip, clean, and reassemble a Remington 12-gauge pump blindfolded. And on top of it, I think we should talk about having a single-payer national health care plan. I think that the physicians should be in charge of health care and not the insurance companies and hospital systems. With a single price structure, it becomes all about medical decision-making, efficiency, the provision of care to our patients, and shared decision-making, all of which we do well. How, you might say, could a Republican come to such a position? The simple answer is, I really think it is quite Republican. Oh, I know there will be many raised eyebrows and many critics. I accept that, I understand the fact that no single payer system is perfect, that it is, quote, socialist, that is, quote, un-American. I would submit to you, however, that is un- it, that it is un-American to allow many of our citizens to be uninsured and that it is un-American to support a bloated, inefficient and fraud-laden healthcare system that is un-American not to be open, that it is un American not to be open and above board with the cost of what we do, the expense of that service, and the profit that we make. Mostly it is un-American to let this outrageous health care injustice continue. The final reason that doctors and two-thirds of American public of, of the American public support single payer is it is the right thing to do.
0: I love that statement. And I'm glad you found a Republican and a cardiologist and a Texan who wanted to say it that way. But that's a good, you know, un-American. I know uh, some people uh, talk about uh, the healthcare that we need as bringing a new freedom for us. That uh, in many ways, people are not free because of this healthcare system. One way they're not free to change their jobs because they have to think about whether their healthcare and their new job would, uh, would be provided. People are not free to choose their physicians and not free to choose their hospitals and not free. Uh, to go whenever they feel the need to go because there are so many copayments and deductibles that finances are always barriers so do you think it would make us more free as a nation if we had a national single payer health care
1: i think not only would it make us more free we would get along better would we <laughs> absolutely I, th- I think that it's it's a way to approach the wealth inequity, which is a thorn in the side of American society, and not only American society, but Great Britain and some others. But the United States leads all the na- all the developed nations in wealth ine- inequality, and along with wealth inequality go other parallel problems, we ha- and we have some of the worst of these social and health problems among comparative countries, as well as as the wealth inequality. There, There's a one-to-one correlation between wealth inequality and some of the social diseases and uh, social problems.
0: Certainly our, our healthcare system has not uh, been able to tackle the inequities between uh, races and ethnic groups. And I know we saw it when uh, the pandemic hit in Kentucky, but I guess everywhere, that the disease developed more strongly among African-Americans and Latinos, and that the death rates were much higher. I mean, here in Kentucky, you know, our Governor Bashir uh, looked at it and said that this is unjust and he wanted to do something about it and he made a commitment to try to cover all African Americans and indeed everybody uh, under some form of health insurance because he was so appalled by the inequities. But we have structural inequities uh, within our system and we can't deal with them with the healthcare system that we have now. And it's really wrong. Our hospitals in, in Louisville are all building out in the east end because they're avoiding the west end where there are more people on Medicaid and more people with no insurance. And when you base uh, where you build facilities on profits and on money, you avoid the people who don't have full pockets and it's not right. And, you know, that's one of the things that gives me great joy about working for single payer is that I really do think that we will be able to remove the financial barriers to care and finally make it possible for people, no matter what their income status, to get the care that they need, to get their teeth fixed, to get, uh, you know, single payer includes dental as well. You know, we 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 don't have good dental insurance, and we don't have many of the things we need. The mental health coverage under our healthcare plans are skimpy. Everything is geared to profits and not to the need that people have.
1: I read an article by Tanahashi Coates, who's an African American author who's written a couple of books and uh, this particular article was several years ago and he mentioned in there reparations, reparations uh, to African Americans for their enslavement and I've thought that this would be a way that we could make a move to erase some of the inequalities, that persist and not total reparations of course but it would make a huge difference if everyone all all of us had the same health care and another issue that that comes about when you think about this is the dignity that's involved with Person on Medicaid, for example, has to d- prove that they're poor, and they have to have a Medicaid card when they go to the emergency room to show that they that their bill is covered. If everyone is given given the same good, high quality health care, that would raise the level of of freedom and and good feeling in in a wonderful way, I think, throughout the country. I think you're right, Garrett.
0: I mean, there's nothing worse than being sick and then being asked to, you know, how will you pay for this? And that being thrown in your face before there is the human concern for what is wrong with you. And, you know, Medicaid, I know I have many friends who say, oh it was great that Medicaid was expanded and indeed that was the best part of the Affordable Care Act was that 20 million more people got covered but most of those people were covered under Medicaid and Medicaid pays the doctor less than private insurance and pays the hospital less than private insurance so how welcome are the people in that plan when they appear at the doorstep and uh, they are not going to be paid for at the same rate? It sets up a two-tier system whereby some people's care is worth more than others. And that's a basic injustice that stays with us. You know, we okay, we cheer that people more people got covered but it's not good enough. If it's not equal, if it's paid for at a lesser rate, then it, it will never be considered equal. And uh, you know, I think that there are doctor's offices that can't stay in existence if all they serve is Medicaid patients because they say it doesn't even cover the basic expenses of, of maintaining the physician practice. So we wanna do away with that. No more two-tiered systems. Nobody is paid at a lesser rate. And uh, that should end, you know, the fact that the hospitals and the facilities and the doctor's offices are in the east end instead of the west end. We want them in the west end and the south end, and they ought to be there under a single payer system, which pays for every patient at the same rate. So all of us will be more equal than we are now. There's another thing about, did you wanna say something on that, Gary?
1: No, I think that's, that's, that's good. I, I do think I have thought of, of um, some other points on paying for, for the system, but I can come back. Did, Go ahead, you, um... that's
0: good. Go well,
1: I, I, I should, should have pointed, I, I think i alluded to the fact that two-thirds of the costs, two-thirds of the costs in the American system are now paid on government dollar. They're, they're government programs that are paying for two-thirds of the $10,000. So that's what's that, $65,000 something Sixty-five hundred dollars per person. So you've, you've got about a third more that you have to come up with, and that's that's the part that that is mainly done through progressive taxation. Some charge to tax and bond transfers a small amount, and then large. Cost savings on pharmaceuticals, and when you pull those in, you get a, another nice input into the total cost. <clears throat> We're paying forty percent more for every drug in this country. That forty percent more than European Europeans, for example. The VA has the opportunity to to buy at cost through monopsony uh, payments, but There's, you know, good, real real costs, real payments, it's all there.
0: So that's a part of the single-payer plan, is to use the power of purchasing to force down the prices of those drugs.
1: Okay. if if people are interested in in trying to, they like the sound of a single-payer plan, what should they, how can they help to move it forward?
0: There are lots of ways. One, you know, you can find out more about it. Uh, We have a website. It's kyhealthcare.org, kyhealthcare.org. And if you get onto that website in the very first section, you will find links to where you could read the physician's proposal for a national health uh, plan. That's the one that Garrett's talking about. That's the National Single-Payer Plan. And uh, learning about it and understanding uh, why we need to go to single-payer and what it would mean is an important part of what you can do. But we need you. It's important that more people come to support this plan in ways that will help. Uh, If you're interested in participating in our phone calls, we we used to meet in person twice a month. Now we meet twice a month uh, virtually. If you are interested in joining those virtual meetings, you can send me an email, and that's nurse, N-P-O, at AOL.com. And uh, I'd be glad to put you on the list and let you become a part of those meetings. One of the things that we do quite frequently, and it's our main way of reaching everybody in Kentucky, is that we provide programs to explain what would a single-payer program do. And we provide those to church groups or civic organizations or neighborhood groups or anybody, a a union group, anybody, we would be happy to give a explanation of single payer uh, with some expert uh, PowerPoint slides or we can do it with a film. And those are free programs we offer to you and we would encourage you to contact us and of course you can contact us by seeing the the email there on our website at kyhealthcare.org but it's uh you know this is going to be a people's program single-payer isn't going to happen except through a tremendous amount of activism on the part of the people of the country who understand it we now have solid majority with us I think even Fox News said we had 72% for a national single payer, that they took a poll at the last election. We do have majority for it. We need to make that majority felt in some way that we can use the power that we have as a democracy to make our Congress listen to us rather than to the insurance industry that tries to run our lives and our healthcare system. You're listening to Single Payer Radio. This is Forward Radio, 106.5 FM. Uh, you've been listening to Dr. Garrett Adams and to Kay Tillo. We're with Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. Thank you for listening.